You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Well, hello and good morning. Can you hear me in the back? Thumbs up? Good. Excellent. Well, Pastor Redberg is enjoying some time away, and for my first sermon as uh, the pastor for teaching and training here at Redeemer, he thought he would make life easy and give me three chapters and a somewhat enigmatic prophetic book of the Old Testament known as Daniel, so I, I owe him when he gets home. It is a joy uh, to be with you. It's a joy to worship with you. It was a joy to be with some of our young ones and students at camp. I'm still recovering, still not 100%, but it was an absolute joy to be with them and worship with them and open Galatians 5 with them. A pastor Harrison served us so well uh, with organizing everything and keeping us focused on the gospel. And so truly, all joking aside, my heart is full and my family and I feel very loved. We appreciate your prayers and just feeling very welcomed uh, in the gospel by you and so much so that I felt comfortable asking some to come help me paint my walls today after church. And so to those that got sucked into that, I thank you ahead of time. Uh, But we are just absolutely overjoyed to be here. So I would like to open by praying from Isaiah 40. You don't have to turn there, but we will be in Daniel 10, 11, and 12. That's chapters 10, 11, and 12 as we do a flyover. But I would like to open us in prayer. There are discussion questions that I created for this study. Uh, They'll be available online. So if you want to use them for private devotion, family worship, small group, community group, uh, any of those applications, Uh, I always write discussion questions whenever I preach, and so those will be available in an online format for you to use. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Isaiah 40, verse 9 says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, and lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up and fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold, your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. For he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Lord, just as Israel at a time of fear and uncertainty needed one thing, when earthly powers were shaken, King Uzziah died, earthly comforts were stripped away, and the threat of persecution and death was imminent at the hands of the merciless Assyrians, when they were clamoring for protection from foreign entities, placing their trust in other things. God, you came to them and you gave them the greatest antibiotic for fear known to man, and that is a vision of yourself. So Lord, as a fearful, anxiety-battling man, And for my friends gathered here today, Lord, we ask for the same. Help us to fight fear, not by doing, but by beholding. 
Help us to see you rightly in these closing chapters of Daniel. And Lord, I think that's what you aim to do for Daniel and for his posterity. Would you come and help us to behold, to see? In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, there are a million temptations to live in fear right now. That could potentially be the understatement of the century. Finances, COVID-19, riots, political scandal, the threat of war. These and a million other things threaten to steal our joy. They threaten to do what Augustine warned us about, and that is to give us spiritual scoliosis that folds us in on ourselves to that morbid introspection that does not put our eyes on Jesus, but puts our eyes on ourselves. Mia culpa. I fight fear daily as a daddy, as a husband, as a citizen, and as a believer. We often try to fix things. We like to-do lists. I like to know when something is wrong, what do I do? How do I make it right? Which only reveals my arrogance. Because time and time again in Scripture, when God's people are trembling at the fear of annihilation or persecution or pain, the sovereign God comes to them and says to them, Behold your God. And that is what I am jealous for today, for your joy, for mine, and for His glory. Is that through these closing chapters of Daniel, we would do exactly what I think we are meant to do in these chapters. And that is to see a glimpse of God that would eclipse fear and anxiety. Beloved, in fearful times like ours, we desperately need to see something. We need to see a high and lofty, victorious, biblical view of God. Our day and our time is not a time where idolatrous views of God, anthropocentric, man-centered views of God will not quiet our hearts. Wimpy theology does not help in a day like ours. We need a strong, rock-hard view of the sovereign God of Scripture, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God in His sovereignty, we land at a place uniquely equipped to give His people just that, namely, the latter half of Daniel. Daniel comes to us today and he fights for our joy He may not say exactly verbatim what Isaiah said, but he says the essence of what Isaiah said. Daniel comes to us and says, Behold your God. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break with blessing on your head. I don't know if you need to hear that today, but I do. This fearful heart needs that preached to it. And so I just want to fold you in to my need as we enter into Daniel 10. 
Here's the main point. If I had to take and just cull Daniel 10, 11, and 12, and I encourage you to turn there now in your Bible, either physically or electronically. If you were to ask me, what is the main point? What is the thesis? If you were to take a flyover of these three chapters of Daniel, I would articulate it this way. As exiles in this world, it's very, very much like First and Second Peter. As exiles in this world, we can endure hardship because we know that we serve a sovereign and victorious Lord. I'll say that again. I know we have some note takers. I love note takers. I get encouraged when I see the top of your heads and hear a scribbling sound. It's good. As exiles in this world, we can endure hardship because we know that we serve a sovereign and victorious Lord. And Daniel 10, 11, and 12 gives us three glimpses of God. We're going to take one chapter at a time, one point for each chapter. I'll give my points to you up front because there's no screens, obviously, out here. And then we'll unpack them together. Glimpse number one, the lion and the lamb. That's for chapter 10. What do we see of God's character in Daniel 10, the lion and the lamb? From Daniel chapter 11, point number two, we see the king of kings. The king of kings. And from Daniel chapter 12, the glimpse of God that we are given. Point number three is the ancient of days. The ancient of days, the God who is sovereign over time. So point number one, glimpse number one from Daniel 10, the lion and the lamb. We find Daniel receiving another vision, and 10, 11, and 12 are kind of together as one vision. They work together as a unit. Daniel is given a fearful, dreadful vision of wars and rumors of wars, and we'll see that in chapter 11, political upheaval, uncertainty. So how does he respond? Look at verse 2. This is Daniel 10, verse 2. He says, in those days, after he received this vision, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies. No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. They used oils in those days to soften the skin in a desert climate. It was a comfort. It says, I abandoned all creature comforts because what I saw in my heart for the people of God was absolutely shattered. So I sought God in fasting. I did not anoint myself for three full weeks, and on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, and I lifted up my eyes and I looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, probably indicative of priestly garments, someone who is holy. A man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So we read these prophetic visions, and sometimes we just kind of gloss over them, but just put yourself in Daniel's shoes. What would be your response to this? This vision which I really, really wanted this to be a Christophany. I thought, this is a pre-incarnate Jesus. I, I don't think it is. Not in this case. 
I think there are those, many of them, so does Jonathan Edwards. But I think this is a heavenly representative, and I agree with one commentator. I think it was Dr. DeGuid. I think it's a cherubim. I think it's a cherubim that has been sent as a heavenly representative. But bear in mind, beloved, that what this angelic visitor represents is the very character and essence of the God whom he represents. So Daniel is seeing something that is absolutely overwhelming, and not just that it's an angel, that it is the presence of God. It is holiness. It is justice. It is beauty. It is wrath. It is righteousness. He was absolutely overwhelmed. Look at verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. It's It's eerily similar to Paul's conversion, isn't it? The road to Damascus. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. In our modern parlance, what he felt was a fight-or-flight response. You ever been so scared, the blood rushes out of your head, your, wheeze, your knees go weak, and you shake from all the adrenaline because you're just absolutely overwhelmed to the point of panic? That's Daniel. And you see the holiness of God. It totally abolishes any idea of a grandpa God who winks at sin and is just kind of glad you show up from time to time. He is holy, holy, holy. And Daniel's just getting a taste of this from this heavenly representative. And Daniel basically passes out. (laughs) In the words of C.S. Lewis, speaking of Aslan which we know is a typification of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he's not a tame lion, but he's a good one. Our God is not a tame God, but the cross has proven that he is indeed good. So Daniel's vision here is of the lion, the Holy One of Israel, or by extension through the representative from heaven. But he's not just the lion for his people, for his elect, for those that are united to his son by faith. He is also the lamb. Verses 10 through 19 form one of the most brilliant, beautiful, heart-changing, worship-inducing juxtapositions in Scripture. You have this revelation of holiness that makes you pass out. And then look at the words, tender, sweet words that come in verse 10. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Look at verse 11. I, I love, I circled verse 11. That's what we need to hear. This is gospel. He said to me, O Daniel, was Daniel a sinner? Church says, yes. Should a sinner be frightened in the presence of a holy God? Answer, yes. So we should stand gobsmacked at the mercy of God when we hear this. 
And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Not just tolerated, not just put up with, not in the back row of heaven. Some of you need to calibrate your theology here. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. It's not like Calvin and Spurgeon are in the velvet rope section. Oh, Daniel, oh, John, oh, Linda, greatly loved. He goes on, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, (laughs) some of the most repeated words in Scripture, you think God knows our propensity? Fear not. How often does that appear in Scripture? What does that say about our proclivities? Oh man, greatly love. Fear not. Fear not. I'm a sinner in the presence of a holy God. This screams the cross, the cross, the cross. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. That's for us. He says to him, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard. Any of you guys been praying and interceding in these days? You need to be reminded that your words have been heard. You're not firing arrows into the sky that fall back down upon your own head, beloved. They make it there because we have a great high priest named Jesus, whoever lives to intercede for us. That's a different sermon. He goes on, he says, Ever since you set your heart, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the king of Persia, and it came, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground, and I was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. This is so much like Isaiah 6. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. I'm afraid for what's coming. I'm afraid. All I see is war and bloodshed and uncertainty, and now I see the holiness of God. Help! Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. Amen. Is this not like the Lord Jesus in Revelation 1, where John sees the vision of the risen and ascended Christ? And Jesus comforts him and says, I am the first and the last. I have the keys of death and hell. He said, O man, greatly love, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. That's where this text is taking the fearful, trembling, uncertain people of God today. 
We get a vision of the lion and the lamb in Daniel chapter 10, this overwhelming vision of holiness, but these tender words of comfort. And we know it's not because Daniel was perfect. We know it's not because Daniel had bought his way into heaven. It is because he was a sinner saved by grace alone through faith alone. He looked forward to the Messiah. We look back. And by that same grace and faith, we hear those words of comfort come to us in our fear and say, O man, O woman, greatly loved, fear not, peace be to you. How? Because the lion and the lamb, the lion of Judah, and the lamb slain before the foundation of the world is your representative and is your elder brother and is your intercessor. And like Daniel, we live as exiles in a world that is not our home. We face political upheaval and cultural uncertainty. We are witnessing the wholesale dismissal of God's honor in the public square. So how do we fight for faith? That's what we need. Prosperity gospel promises cars and money. And if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you know what does your heart need. I need faith. I need faith. I want to make it. I want to persevere. Cars come and go. Money is fleeting. I need persevering faith. Where does it come from? From seeing and savoring the promises of God and Jesus. And they are, according to Luke 24, on every page. So Daniel wants us to see the lion and the lamb so that we fight for faith in a fearful time. And number two, he wants us to see the king of kings. We won't go through every verse in chapter 11. We don't have time. But let's review it together to get the essence. What's happening in chapter 11? This is one continuous vision. And now in chapter 11, he gives him an overview of what's coming. Of Probably going to mispronounce these. Dr. Pratt, help me out, brother. The Ptolemaic kingdom, the Seleucids, the Greeks, all of these that we look back in history and we think of Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth, and all of these names that have gone down in infamy, but at the time they were looking forward. Just look at verse 2. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a force shall be far richer than all of them. Look at verse 5. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. Look at verse 7. And from a branch from her roots one shall arise in his place and shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north. He shall deal with them and he shall prevail. He shall carry off to Egypt their gods and their metal images and precious vessels of silver and gold. Look at verse 20. Then shall arise in his place, this is probably Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes. God made manifest the arrogance of paganism. Then one shall arise in his place who shall be an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom, but within a few days thou shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle, and in his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. This is a vision of bloodshed on a scale that would make us vomit. 
And it goes on and on and on. Finally, more than likely, down at verse 30, the ships of Katim shall come. This is probably pointing forward to the Roman Empire. We know, with hindsight 2020, what a force of nature the Roman Empire at its height was. And then he goes on, and the, the language begins to change around verse 36. And it seems, and in Daniel, and the, the prophets do this all the time with telescopic prophecy, it seems to move from immediate to almost multiple fulfillment. So he's talking probably about Antiochus Epiphanes and some of the coming persecution, but then it, it seems to reach forward to the end of time, to a, an even worse diabolic king, one who is likely what we would know as Antichrist. Verse 36, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. On and on and on. Verse 40, to the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind. So we read these seemingly enigmatic statements, but what do we carry away from it? What is Daniel seeing? Even if we get some of the names wrong or we attribute certain wars to the wrong people, but what do we know? Daniel is seeing a vision, and it is unsettling. I don't know about you, but one of the idols I constantly have to stab with the sword of the word is the idol of comfort and certainty. I like to know what's going to happen. I like my routine. I like my coffee a certain way at a certain time, namely really strong and at about 6.15, if the baby lets me sleep in. And if that being thrown apart can throw me off, how much more to see what Daniel saw, which is absolute political upheaval and uncertainty and persecution for the people of God. What do I need to know so that I could fight for faith. Where do God's exiled people, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We feel that, don't we? Where do we find comfort? I mean, do you see the, the correlation? How relevant, if I can use that word, the word of God always is and how sufficient? Like, what can the book of Daniel, this ancient cryptic prophecy, possibly have to say to me today? Yeah, what what could it possibly say to the people of God who are meeting outside with government edicts up and down with fear of death and all kinds of panic and intrigue and all kinds of political scheming and persecution? What, what could it possibly have to say to us today, right? That's sanctified sarcasm. It's got a lot to say. What glimpse of God do we need to see from Daniel 11? We need to know. We need to know. That he is the king of kings. In Daniel 11, kings come and they go. In Daniel 11, kings, they raise up and they flex their muscle and they're gone. And that is because of what we learned in Daniel 2.21. Daniel 2.21 says this, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. We need to know it is he the sovereign god 
who causes all things to work according to the purpose of his will that sets up kings and lays them low. We've got to unplug from media. We've got to get away from some of these things that slowly begin to take us away from the gospel and we feel enslaved and at the whim of what's on the, on the, the ticker on the bottom of the news channel. What's going to happen today? When do we ever know what's going to happen? I woke up on 9-11 in 2001 in college looking for a normal day in undergraduate classes I hated. Had to take botany. Who in the world wants to take botany? And then within two hours, everything changed. Woe to you who say, tomorrow we'll go into such and such a city and make a profit, for you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Rather, we should say, if the Lord wills. How can I live with faith if I just say, if the Lord wills? It's not about your faith. It's about his character. Who is the Lord? He is the King of kings. He is the Ancient of Days. He's the Lion and the Lamb. He is the Conquering One. If it is He who controls times and seasons, then I can wake up and say, come what may. I will persevere in faith and I will not give up my joy. And that's exactly what Daniel wants for us. Jesus Christ the sin-conquering, soul-saving King of kings. He is committed to His honor and the joy of His people. He is sovereign over everything. That's what Colossians tells us. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Who will bow to the risen Christ on that great day of judgment? You will see Antiochus Epiphanes. You'll see every leader of Rome, Hitler, and all the forces of evil bow before Jesus. We don't just follow him. We worship him because he is the king of kings. And finally, courtesy of Daniel 12, we get the glimpse that we need, and that is not only the lion and the lamb, not only is he the king of kings, but number three, he is the ancient of days. He controls time. He is sovereign over it. I love singing that line, and in Christ alone, Jesus commands my destiny. Wow. He commands my destiny in a culture that is rapidly embracing nihilism. What a powerful statement. This life is not for nothing. I know the one that has determined my days. Look at verse 40 of chapter 11. They kind of segue together here. At the time of the end. At the time of of the end, and then you come to the editorial heading in chapter 12. It says, The time of the end. So we are lurching forward to what we would call uh, eschatological fulfillment. We're talking about the end of time. It says in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is charge of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name 
shall be found written in the book. Written with ink? No, written with blood. Specifically, the blood of the Lamb. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. What's he talking about? He's talking about end of time, return of Christ, resurrection, and judgment. Eschatology is the study of last things, and there's a lot we don't know. Be the first to admit that. But what Scripture has revealed, eschatology is always meant not for debate, but for strength and for faith and for hope. For the people of God who groan and say what Daniel's about to say <laughs> in verse 8, he says, I don't understand. I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? What is Daniel saying? He's saying, when? I just want the details. If you just give me the details, that'd be good. If you just give me the time. If you just text me. Bible doesn't give us a day, but it does give us an overview. If we're going to suffer, if we're entering into a phase of persecution and suffering for our profession of faith in Jesus Christ, some of us up to the point of losing our lives, some already have. I've got friends in Mongolia, friends in Uganda and Zambia. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Where do we fight for faith when that reality sinks in? That following Jesus means taking up your cross and following him. There's only one reason to carry a cross. How do I fight for faith when this heart begins to faint and say, Oh no, I know my weakness, God. My knees are weak. My faith is small. We need to be reminded of what we see here. Go back quickly to verse 12. Many, or verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What's he talking about? He's talking about resurrection. How does he comfort Daniel? He says to him what... Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time, threat of death, uncertainty, persecution, cancer, life in a fallen world and a yet glorified body. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. What is that glory? It is a split sky, a coming king, glorified bodies of the saints, and even judgment those whose names are not written in the book of life. So there is massive encouragement even beyond the grave for those who trust in Jesus Christ. And there is a, a minor key of warning for those who are yet to fall on their face before Christ and profess him as Lord. We say with Daniel, you're the ancient of days, but I want to know the day. And that's where we need to hear from another non-canonical, non-inspired, but really close writer, and name is Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, when we cannot trace God's hand, we can trust God's heart. 
how I wish Spurgeon would have had a Twitter account. When we cannot trace his hand, meaning I don't know the details of providence, we can trust his heart. Why? Because we know his character. Who is the God that you trust in when you get up in the morning and face uncertainty? (laughs) There's a lot I don't know about his timing, but I know about his character. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me, how will he not with him graciously give me all things, including resurrection? So, fear not, soul. He's the king of kings. He's the lion and the lamb, and he's the ancient of days. He is the God who is sovereign over time. So what can dispel the fear that many of God's people are wrestling with right now? And God bless you. Some of you came in, and I say this because I've been there. You came in and put on a really good face, but inside you are on the verge of panic for a million different reasons. I, I know that feeling. That gut-wrenching, thought-racing, faith-seemingly-evaporating sense of anxiety of what is going to happen. And isn't it a gift from God to give us Daniel, where we see shadows of the cross on every page? Every promise of Daniel, whether it be resurrection or comfort, is yes and amen in Jesus Christ for us if we indeed are in Christ. So I say my main point again. As exiles in this world, this fearful world, we can endure hardship and persecution because we know that we serve a sovereign and victorious Lord, the God of which we get a glimpse in Daniel. So I close with those sweet gospel-centered, blood-bought, Jesus-exalting words of Daniel 10, 19. O man, O woman, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And that comes... Not because of us, but because of what Robert Murray McShane said. For every one look at yourself, give ten looks to Christ. It is the object of our faith that calms our hearts. Beloved, be strong. Be of good courage. Regardless of viruses, politics, votes. These are not our greatest threats. Our greatest threats as sinners like Daniel that cause us to tremble is the holiness of God our sin, and hell. Those are our greatest threats, and the blood of Jesus has conquered them all. Everything else is just a cleanup operation. So take heart, beloved. Fear not. Peace be to you. Be of good courage, because our God wins. Let's pray.